We're going to be reading from the book of Proverbs, um, chapter 18, verse 24, but then also several other verses throughout the book of Proverbs. And if you have your Bible, yeah, please turn there with us. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There's some Bibles on the back table on your way out. Please feel free to grab one. Again, Proverbs 18, 24. Here's the word of the Lord. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, it's really good to be home. Oh, stop it. It's really, it's really good to be home. Thank, no, seriously, don't do that. Uh, for those of you who, uh, who have no idea who I am, uh, my name's Nathan. Uh, for those of you who have just forgotten me, uh, rude, okay, uh, still Nathan, uh, one of the pastors here, it's so good to be with you. I uh, just come coming back. This is my first Sunday after uh, an incredible and generous investment and gifts to me and to my family of sabbatical. So I've been away for the last 12 weeks, uh, just re-entering now, figuring out where I am and what's going on. But I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, it's, been, it's been amazing, um, truly, truly life-giving, so much family time, time to, to read and rest and pray and think and listen and just just be. And so thank you so much for that incredible gift for me and for my, my family. I feel like I learned a ton. I've got pages and pages of notes. I just kind of sit and like just whatever came to my head and something to think about. And I've got lots of that. And I'm sure over the coming months, um, we'll have opportunity to maybe hear bits and pieces along the way. And um, for Reed and for Patrick as well, as, we, as they continue to lead here, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get, we'll get it out there at some point. But, but we got a long time to do that. Uh, there is one thing in particular, though, that I wanted to, to share as, I think, one of my clearest and biggest t- takeaways, and that's just how much I love this place. I love you. Um, I miss you. I missed being here on Sundays. Actually, that was one of the hardest parts. I mean, I, it was nice to go and visit other churches, but for those of you who are, like, who are new here, like, I know what that's like. That's, that's hard. Hard to walk into a church not knowing anyone. Um, and this is family, and so I'm so grateful, and again, if you're newer, and this isn't family yet, let us figure out how to, like, come to me, because I, I, it's fresh, right, the loneliness that church can be. Um, Come to me, come to one of us on staff, let us help you find a place of connection, but I I love this place, I'm so glad to be here. I I feel energized, excited, ready for whatever God has in the coming years, Uh, really hopeful about what he's doing at Christ Community here and across our campuses, Um, and that's, that's just such a gift. And so truly, I cannot thank you enough for loving me and my family and our pastors, because it's something we do for our pastors every seven years, loving us so much that you give us this investment um, that you pour out for us. And so thank you. It really is amazing. I've had had several people ask to see pictures. Thought about doing just a slideshow. Um, Got about a thousand pictures. That'd be super lame, wouldn't it? Um, We're not going to do that. Let me show show one, though. Just one, one picture. Show it up here. Uh, this, uh, Kelly and I, we kind of look through literally our over a thousand pictures, and this is the one that we wanted to, to show uh, this morning. And it's not, it's not the prettiest place that we visited, believe it or not, um, but it's the picture, I think, that best su- visually summarizes 
the 12 weeks that we had together as a family. It's not the scenery I want you to look at. Um, although Mount Rainier is, is spectacular. I mean, this is basically what's around us at that moment. But go, go back to the picture of us. I want you to look at our faces. Have you ever seen four happier people? <laughs> Have you ever seen me look that happy? I mean, that, that is the gift of sabbatical. The joy, the rest, the family time, just the renewal that we were able to experience, the time that we had to do those things was truly just life-changing uh, for us. I mean, that was, that was the second week of 12, and already we're feeling that good. So thank you uh, for that. And it is, it is good to be back. I know uh, it's been fun this week getting caught up on different things that happened, and, you know, Patrick and Reed, man, they're awesome, and the whole team here did such an incredible job. I know they didn't need me a bit, and so I'm thankful for, for that and their leadership. Although, I, I will point out that it's on my first Sunday back that the new parking is finished. Huh? Huh? So you're welcome, right? Yeah, I did nothing. Um, okay, well, I, we better get going. Uh, definitely should, should go here. Uh, I'm supposed to preach, I think. I think we're in Proverbs. Um, that's what I've been told, so we're going we're gonna to go there. I hope I remember how. Let me pray, and let's, let's ask for God's help in this moment together. Father, God, I'm so grateful for a congregation that loves each other and loves me and my family so much. And, and not, just, not just for the role that I serve, the position that I have, um, but me for me and my family for them. God, that is a gift. I know not every pastor can say that, and so I'm so thankful. And God, I pray that as we uh, gather together around your word, thank you that it speaks to us that shows us who we should be, who you've created us to be, and how Jesus speaks into all of life. And so I pray that we would have ears to hear. God, I pray that you would be with me, uh, a little rusty, a bit foggy, um, but I pray that you would speak through me nonetheless. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I love the show Stranger Things. Uh, and no, I didn't just binge watch Netflix uh, while I was away. I didn't just do that. I did a little bit of that. Um, but I, I love this show, and Kelly and, Kelly and I as well, we, we've enjoyed it. If you haven't seen it, uh, you probably should just leave and go and get caught up, because it's pretty amazing. Um, maybe don't do that. Let me, I'll summarize, okay? For the four of you who haven't seen it yet, um, let, me, let me summarize. It's basically, it's a show about friendship, right? I mean, ultimately, that's really what it's, it's about. It's about these young kids and the relationship they have with, with one another. And the context of that relationship is this you know, terrifying, supernatural darkness trying to destroy everything, right? It's a great show. And while there are a lot of reasons we enjoy it, I mean, without a doubt, it's Dustin, Mike, Will, Lucas, and Eleven, their friendship with one another that keeps us coming back. I mean, that's, that is what the show is about. And I mean, their, their friendship, their loyalty, their courage, their humor— and, and really, above all of that, their undying commitment to fight the darkness together. Not alone, not passive, but active with one another. In fact, there was a blog last year after the first season came out um, from the Gospel Coalition, a Christian website, and they just talked about it and, and referred to their friendship as a buffer against the darkness. And I, I love that image that, that in the show, it is, it is their friendship 
that sort of keeps the darkness at bay. But the article goes on and describes how we don't, we don't tend to have those kinds of relationships anymore. In fact, he, he writes, I think this is a caricature of me in some ways, he says, but this runs counter to many cultural archetypes, doesn't it? There's a prevailing myth that we ought to be autonomously capable of happiness and mental health on our own. And that real strength is independence, needing nothing from anyone else, but that's simply not how humanity works. And that's me. Like, I just, I hate needing anything from anyone. I hate asking for help. And so in those, those moments when I feel overwhelmed or ashamed, I feel sad or afraid, my natural tendency is to go deeper into myself. And then in that loneliness, to just overcome, be overcome with the darkness and despair. And I realize for some of you, that's, that's you, right? You're a loner, you do your own thing, you don't need anything from anyone. Now, others of you are just the opposite. And you know you need these kinds of relationships, and yet they've always felt out of reach. Either because you're too busy, or you can't find the right people, or maybe, maybe you've always struggled to make or keep lasting friendships. We all know the older you get, the harder it is. And then there, there are others of you who, who would say, well, actually, I've got tons of friends. And I can talk to them about work and the chiefs and the kids. But if you're honest with yourself, it's not a lot like Mike and Will. And you're not exactly pushing back any darkness. And of course, there are others. You've just been hurt so many times. So you're like, I'm done. And the thought of letting anyone close into your life it's just terrifying. And yet, I can't, I can't shake what the author writes in this blog. He says, our connections to one another aren't a luxury. They're essential to our flourishing, a buffer against a dark and hostile world. And I think we know it deep down. So what should we do? Well, we... We turn to God's word to see what he has to say about the subject. And so together, these last couple of, uh, of weeks, month, I don't know how long, four weeks, Proverbs, right? It, it is Proverbs. Um, we've been studying and asking for God's wisdom there because it's a book about wisdom. And we've been in Proverbs looking at what does God say about a variety of, of subjects there in his word. And this morning, we're going to jump around a bit. As Jonathan read, we read several different places, and that's a little bit different for us, right? Typically, as a church, we preach through one section of scripture at a time, but Proverbs is unique, right? It's mostly topical, and so we've tried to collect a handful of Proverbs to paint a picture of what, what do these kinds of relationships really look like. So we'll jump around. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can, you're welcome to, to follow along through there. We'll move pretty quickly. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen for us uh, as well. We've said Proverbs is about wisdom, right? It's the skillful art of living in God's world. And we're going to say a lot this morning as we try to unpack what these relationships look like. But if you remember just one thing, if you take just one thing with you this morning, I hope it's this. A wise person knows you cannot push back the darkness alone. You just can't do it. You cannot push back the darkness on your own. So who do we want standing beside us? And who will you stand beside?
How do we build relationships that last? Okay, Proverbs 18.24. Let's look at that one first. It says, A man or woman of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's not the, the number of friends that matters. In fact, too many superficial relationships can actually ruin you. But there is a friend who sticks closer than family. That sounds great, but where do we find that person, right? I mean, I believe it, sure, but where, where is he? Where is she in my life, right? And, and I've had plenty of people in my life come to me and say, Nathan, if I just had somebody I could talk to you about this or, or somebody that I could depend on in this situation, and I totally get that, right? I, I understand that, that longing. Many people, I think most of us, want a friendship like this. But few people actually want to be a friend like this. In fact, Shel Silverstein uh, sums this up nicely in his children's poem. I love it. He says, I've discovered a way to stay friends forever. There's really nothing to it. I simply tell you what to do, and you do it. It's great. That's good advice, right? No, it's terrible, and we know that. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not a path to meaningful relationship. There's no way. And yet, man, how many times have I acted as if my friends exist to help me move? But I sure hope I'm busy the weekend they're moving, right? Or how many times have I thought, man, I, I, I want them to listen to me, to encourage me, to support me, to affirm me, to be available when my wife doesn't want to see that movie to go with me, Right? It's all about me. And those desires are natural. Of course we want those people in our lives. But it's no way to make a friend. If you want a wise friend, you've got to be a wise friend, right? You've got to be one. For example, I love the story of of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful story of of friendship between these two guys. And um, Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. He's supposed to be the next king. He's Saul's son. And yet it's clear that God has chosen David, his friend, instead. And so what what does Jonathan do? It's not Game of Thrones. He actually does everything within his power to help his friend become king instead of him. Who does that? Like, would, would you do that? And I, I, I hear that story and I, I think, man, I could sure use a few Jonathans in my life. Because, of course, in my own vain imagination, I'm David, right? Like, I'm, I'm the king, right? But maybe I'm not supposed to be a David, Maybe I'm supposed to be a Jonathan. And I think, honestly, if you look at Proverbs, I think all of us are supposed to be Jonathans. And I want to be clear as well, as we get into this, I just, you know, under-promise, over-deliver. It's kind of a good rule of thumb. Like, I can't give you friends today. I wish I could. And yes, church ought to be a place where this happens, right? It should be a place where relationships can be found and where they can flourish. Without a doubt, I hope that happens for you here, but we cannot manufacture them for you. We can't just, we can't do it, right? And yet, 
Proverbs helps us know the kind of friends that we should be. And that's where we've got to start. And so instead of focusing on, on find these kinds of friends, and of course that's implicit in all this, and yes, go out and find these kinds of friends as we talk through the text together, but instead I want us to focus on the only thing that you and I actually have any control over. It's ourselves and the friends that we should be. So are you the kind of friend you'd want? Maybe when you go looking for a friend, is that, are you embodying those characteristics? Will you be a buffer against the darkness for someone else? What does that even look like? Well, Proverbs shows us. In fact, I think there are four characteristics in particular that we're going to look at this morning of a wise friend who, who does this, that we ought to be in our relationships for one another. Four things in particular. So we've got a lot to cover. We'll, we'll do our best to get through it. But first... First, a wise friend enters the dark places with you. They go with. With whatever that person is, is facing, experiencing, the pain that they have. I mean, we live in a dark world. So much heartache and pain. Sometimes we're in denial of it. But there's a darkness around us. And when we see our friends, our relationships go into those places, we go in with them. Proverbs 17, 17, for example, says a friend loves at all times. Not just when it's convenient or easy or comfortable. All times. And so with the phone call at 1.30 in the morning, you love them. When they've just lost someone you love and you don't know what to say, whoever knows what to say, you love them. When they can't even get out of bed because they're so sad. Or, or because maybe they're experiencing a fear that you don't even think is rational. And yet still, all times, you love them. But what do we, what do we tend to do instead? I think we probably go in a couple of directions. One, we try to fix them. That's kind of my... Uh, you know, my wheelhouse. I just want to get in there like, all right, we'll do this, this, and this, and, you know, talk to me tomorrow, right? It's not that hard, right? I just, I want to fix it, right? I want to, I want to just make a quick, clean break and just make it okay and finally walk out and it's all good, right? That's, many of us are probably like that. Others of us, and this is probably similar, I think this is why we try to fix, is that we just, we try to keep the pain of others just a little bit distant, right? We want to, we want to be insulated from, we don't want to feel it, like it's hard enough to watch them have it. And so to sit with them in it means that we have to own some of it. And we just prefer our lives a little more sanitary than that, right? I mean, it's hard to go into those dark places with someone we love. But a, but a wise friend doesn't just stand on the outside tossing in words of encouragement like hand grenades. You know, that's what we do though, isn't it? In fact, I, I'm convinced Christians are the worst at this. We really are. Let's own this together. Like, we love throwing in hand grenades at hurting people, you know. Count your blessings, right? All things work together for good, you know, or, or they're in a better place. Or Jesus loves you. But we're distant enough where we don't feel the mess. The reality is we do that for us, not for them, right? We can't stand the silence in those moments. We have to fill it with something. We say something that's just not helpful. 
In fact, it reminds me, it reminds me of another Proverbs, chapter 25. Proverbs are great, by the way. Like, we should all read the Proverbs regularly. They're both incredibly wise and just super funny, many of them. I love this one. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Basically, the Bible says, if you do this, like the hand grenade prayer, like you're an idiot. It's like, it's like getting naked in a snowstorm. Like, why would you do that? Like, it doesn't do any good. And, and the vinegar and soda, like, it's just it's a mess, like that homemade vol- volcano that just goes everywhere. Like, don't, don't do that. And yes, like the writer of the Proverbs knows songs are good. Scripture is good. The desire to encourage someone, of course, it's good. But the point is, before you do any of that, do a heavy heart. You've got to enter the darkness. You've got to sit with them in it and feel it as if it was your own. That's what a wise friend does. They listen more than they speak. They know that presence typically matters more than activity. And they feel it with you. They weep tears that aren't even theirs because they feel your pain. And if we do that, we just might push back a tiny bit of their darkness that they can't push back alone. Many of you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we lost a a dear friend, dear part of our church, uh, Randy Russell. Sudden, tragic, completely unexpected. Randy and Chris, they've been committed members here, leaders, servants. I mean, they're just the kind of people you want to be. They're awesome. We're going to miss Randy. In the aftermath of his death, Christy wrote us a note. Um, Us. Not not the staff, right? To us. Christ community, the church family. That's, That's all of us here. And so I want to read part of it to us. She says, to our church family, words can never express the love we feel for all of you and the thanks we have to the Lord of the gift of family, especially the family of God. Two years ago, Randy and I and our family walked through the doors of Christ Community Church and immediately felt the love of Christ and the love for God's children in the absolute best ways. Randy loved the relationships he was blessed to have. He loved serving the Lord in the children's program, and he loved each and every divine appointment and conversation, every shared moment of laughter. He loved to laugh. And every concern you shared with him. Thank you for the blessing of walking this journey with you and for the love you continue to pour out on our family. We thank the Lord for each and every one of you. Randy is in paradise, but the work here on earth continues. My prayer, and listen to this last part. Listen to what she says, how she describes this. And with grief as raw as she's experiencing. She says, my prayer is that many others would know the love of Christ as he did through the body, broken and given out. I love that picture. That's, that's who we're supposed to be. That's what a wise friend looks like. The body of the church, broken and given out. Just as Jesus' body was broken for us and poured out on our behalf, that is who we should be. Entering the trenches, marching into the darkness for the sake of love. Yes, we have boundaries, of course. But is this the kind of friend you'll be? It's the one you want. Is it the one you'll be? Second, 
Second, a wise friend calls out the darkness inside you. So it enters the darkness with you, but also calls out the darkness inside you. Yuck, right? I don't want to do that. That sounds awful, like to help point out the sins in each other's lives. I mean, that's, nobody likes doing that. Actually, you know that's not true, right? I mean, some of you really enjoy doing it, if you're honest. I mean, any, any chance you get to point out the darkness or the sin in another person, whether you do it to their face or online and social media or through gossip, some of you love doing it and you have a problem. And frankly, the Proverbs call you a fool. Stop it! Okay? Okay. All right, but a wise friend. Okay, so that's, don't be like that friend. Be like the wise friend who is full of grace, who's still willing to go there to those hard places, those ugly places in your life, but it's in ways that are, that are actually welcome. I mean, Proverbs 27, 6, listen to this. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Like, let this sink in for a second. Better to be punched in the face by a buddy than kissed by an enemy. Better to have a friend, someone you trust, speak a, a, a truth you don't want to hear. Point out something in your life that you, you don't want at all, right? At least not in the moment. Like, to say that to you, better that than have empty praise from someone who doesn't care about you. That's a wise friend. Because the idea of the faithfulness of, a, of the wounds, it's that they can be trusted, is the idea. You can trust those wounds. You can't trust those kisses. Better to have wounds you can trust than kisses you can't. And yet I know, like, that's a, such a challenge for us. We don't, for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons, we just don't believe the darkness is that bad, right? I mean, tell that to 11, right? Like, we, that, that, we kind of have this sort of mentality that there's nothing that bad in me or in our world that really needs to be called out or confronted, right? I mean, we, just, we think this, this, this darkness is it's not that bad. It's maybe a little gray, but we're doing okay. And so we, we, we keep our lives so pristine on the outside that we look the other, other way at people's greed or selfishness or, or lust or racism or gossip, right? It's too uncomfortable to go there. And we actually think we're doing them a favor by not saying, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the right choice. Or, or on the other side, so that's, that's with our friends, for ourselves, and I, I do this, we live our lives in such a way that our friends only can get so close, right? Like, they can get close, but not, I mean, we're not going to talk about my bitterness problem, right? Or, or other, you know, marriage problems or pornography addiction, like those personal things. And so we, we spend our lives pretending because we're so afraid of their trustworthy blows. And we hide everything. We need what one author calls glass house living. To live our lives as if they're in a glass house. Like everything's a window, a fishbowl. Absolute transparency. It's more than, more than accountability. I mean, accountability is helpful, but, you know, we lie, right? We need more than that. We need to look into each other's lives without secrets, without hiding, with no rules on anything we can't talk about together. Because the reality is sin will kill you. I've seen it. It wants to take everything from you. And with every inch we give it, it takes so much more. And if you don't think you have a sin problem, then just whatever, whatever it is that comes to your mind when I say that, then just stop doing that thing for a while. 
If you don't think you have a problem, just stop. Stop gossiping. Don't be so angry. Stop yelling at your kids. Don't look at porn anymore. Like, whatever it is, like, just stop it. Just let me know how it goes, right? It's not that easy, and we know that. It controls us. It wraps itself around us, and it longs to strangle us. But friends, we have to fight the darkness. But you cannot push it back alone. Which means, again, there has to be transparency. And transparency can only survive in a, in a culture of grace, humility, mercy, forgiveness. And we have to have a willingness to call out the darkness within and to have others do the same for us. Is that the kind of friend you'll be? Now, there's another side to this which we can't miss. In fact, if we just do that one and not this third one, we're in big trouble. But this third thing, a wise friend doesn't let the darkness define you. So yeah, they call it out. They're not going to let sin go unnoticed. And we can't be content with our sin or the sin of others. But if you're with Jesus, then we know that our sin does not define us. It doesn't have ultimate mastery over us. And so, for example, Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats it, the idea, who keeps talking about it over and over, like just won't stop talking about the offense, that person inevitably separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense. You first hear that, it sounds like like a cover-up, right? Like you're trying to like do damage control for somebody, you know, you just, you, you're, no, that's not what's happening here. It's not like, it's not like hiding. It's, it's covering like, it's like you put a blanket of forgiveness over it. It doesn't go away anymore, but it's, it doesn't look the same either. Like you cover it with mercy, with grace. That's, that's the covering of it, ultimately with love. Because in, in fact, there's another proverb, and Peter in the New Testament basically repeats it. It says, love covers all offenses. The way Peter says it is, love covers a multitude of sins. Like, this is one of my go-to phrases, personally. Like, when I get offended or bothered or just and being too sensitive, because we humans are, right? Just, just got to remind them, okay, love covers a multitude of sins. I don't, have to, I don't have to be a jerk about that. I don't have to be offended about that. I don't have to let that get under my skin, because it covers a multitude of sins. It's not, again, it's not that we, we let sin go unpunished, right, or unnoticed. That's why we talked about the first thing. But we lead with love and grace and forgiveness, because that is what has been given to us. A wise friend speaks forgiveness. Instead of bringing it up over and over again, we know how damaging that is and how many of our marriages need to hear that, right? Instead of just continually repeating the offense, a wise friend lets love cover a multitude of sins. You don't have to be offended by everything. Which is kind of a shocking thing to say, I think, right now in our culture. Because we get mad about everything. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. We are, we are on guard every little... We're so sensitive. But love covers a multitude of sins. And you and I can forgive because we've been forgiven. Right? Right? And we can be the mouthpiece of God by reminding others that they too can be forgiven. I mean, think of the power of those reminders, that we get to do that for somebody else's life in the midst of their shame. 
mean, yes, there, there are times, sometimes, when we need to point out the sins of others, but all the time we need to point out God's forgiveness. Constantly point to grace. I can remember a, a conversation I once had with a dear friend after he'd been caught in an affair. And just just the, the unbelievable amount of shame and the collateral damage just everywhere, wreaking such havoc. Right? Some of you have lived this story, and so I, I can only imagine the pain, the heartache, the shame that comes along with that. And for him, what began with, you know, harmless pornography ended here. If you don't think the darkness wants to kill you, you're lying to yourself. And I listened to him, and I tried to be present in that dark moment, and I cried with him, wept is more like it. And eventually I said to him, and not, not because I would minimize that for a second, or the devastation, or the long road of recovery, and whatever has to happen after that to even begin to make amends, I can't imagine, right? But I said to him, because I believe in the power of repentance, and the power of Jesus' blood, I said, this does not have to define you. This thing so awful, it does not have to be the end of you. It doesn't have to be the sum total of, of who you are, right? And how, how desperate you and I are to hear that, aren't we? I mean, if there's anything we need to hear loud and often in our culture today, it is grace. Not just mere, like, acceptance or tolerance. We talk a lot about that. We, we need more than that, right? We need grace. Because we can acknowledge the wrong of someone, but also say it doesn't have to be this way. And I need to hear it from you. You need to hear it from me. Your kids need to hear it from you, parents. Parents, you need, like, kids say it to your parents, like spouses say it to one another, colleagues, coworkers, classmates. We need to hear grace. In fact, I even just want to say it right now. I don't want to miss this moment. If you are a Christian, if you're with Jesus, your failures do not define you. Whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. They are not the sum total of who you are, and you are forgiven. And if you're not a Christian, you can be too. It does not have to have the last word in you. Finally, quickly on this one, a wise friend brings out the light within you. Enters the darkness with you, calls out the darkness inside you, doesn't let the darkness define you, and brings out the light within you. I can't say a lot about this one just for time, but let me read Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man or woman sharpens another. Are the people closest to you better off for having been with you? And are you better off for having been with them? So let's go back to where we started. Are you the kind of friend you'd want? Are you the kind of friend that you truly need? Who are the people standing beside you? And who will you stand beside? Because we cannot push back the darkness alone. 
Again, we're, we're not a perfect church. Like we can't just promise that this is going to happen naturally here. We know, we know it's, it's more complicated than that. And yet I pray that this would be a place that those relationships could begin for some of you, where they could flourish and be fostered. And we want to do everything we can to help you be a wise friend and to find a wise friend. Because I, I couldn't agree more with Mr. Rogers. You've got to love that guy, right? He said the greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. For that is our buffer against the darkness. Of course, some of you are probably thinking, I'm thinking it. That's just still not quite enough, though, is it? I mean, we need that. We should pursue that. We should become those kinds of people. We should find those kinds of people, and we are desperate for it. Absolutely, we should. But we need more than a buffer against the darkness. We need a friend who will destroy the darkness who will one day get rid of it once and for all, for all of us. We need a friend who sticks closer even than a brother. And did you know that Jesus actually calls us his friends, his followers? Us. Like the, the God who made us, he knows every, everything about us. If you're with him, he calls you his friend. In fact, in John 15, It's kind of one of his big summary statements. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, right? This idea of of friendship. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. For our God is the ultimate friend. That may be a weird way to, to think about it, to, to think about him, right? And yet think about how he does every one of these things that we talked about with a wise friend. He enters into the darkness. He came, right? He didn't have to. But he came and he, he knows the pain, the loneliness, the suffering that you and I experience because he entered the darkness. But he doesn't, he doesn't leave us there. He, he sees the darkness within, but he gave his life to be able to overcome our shame, our regret, all of our brokenness and heartache on the cross, dying in our place. And he rose again so that no, it no longer has to define us. It's the only way we can say any of that is because of him. And he longs to shine out his light from within us. Because praise God, he's not done with us yet. He is still at work recreating us into the people that we long to be, that we were always created to be, forgiven and whole. Friends of God and wise friends of others. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Go in peace.